welcome to the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. I'm your host, Barbara Fisher. Tonight, I'm welcoming Deb Cobble. She is a very interesting person. She wrote the book, Extraordinary Contact, Life Beyond Intruders. And that title, Intruders, might joggle some people's memories or, you know, catch your attention somewhere. You were known as Kathy Davis, weren't you? Yes. Yes. So this is this lady is the real life, honest to God name of Kathy Davis. And I'm excited to hear from her and talk with her tonight because if there's something strange, she she knows something about it, has experienced it or knows somebody who has. Thank you so much for coming on to talk with me, Deb. And thank you for asking, Barbara. I appreciate it. Uh I I just finished reading your book, and of course, I, I did read Intruders, but that was like, I don't know, 20 years ago, <laughs> yeah, more than a that. It was, because I read it when it came out, and then I read it again like about 15 or 20 years ago. Uh, and it's really interesting to read your book and, and written in your words mm-hmm. of the things that you experienced and how you experienced them. And one of the things that is just is just like a rich vein of ore in the middle of your of your book, just winding through every chapter is the the kinds of experiences that come with UFO contact of some sort. Um, there's all of this psychic stuff. There's uh, paranormal stuff there's poltergeist stuff you name it it's in there and as i was reading it i was like oh well i um hmm uh that's uh wow uh spiders huh okay uh yeah and what happened was i was remembering a lot of stuff from uh generally in my my case it was around teenagerhood, you know, 10, 11, 12, and up. But so many of them, you would have the exact description of what I had seen or experienced. And I was just kind of like, but I'm not an abductee, am I? <laughs> okay, well, I want to talk with her. So here we are. Here mm-hmm. we are. And I wanted to ask you, when did your poltergeist psychic strange things that didn't look like aliens but are still strange things start happening for you it's been happening most all of my life i mean i can remember let's see well my my family would talk about it and they always talked about weird stuff happening around the house even when i was really young and didn't understand it um like it was just normal and so i had grew up assuming that that sort of thing happened to everybody um my sister is she's 11 years older than me and uh my oldest sister and you know she had a ufo sighting back in 1965 that the family talked about you know i heard the family talking about it for years grew up and i just assumed that sort of thing happened to everyone because you know my family talked about it um my mother always was interested in psychic things 
I don't know. I'm probably dating myself, but she used to like to read books by Sil- or Sylvia Brown, but before her, Jean Dixon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have this running joke, you know, that I still tell that no one gets anymore. That says, what do I look like, Jean Dixon? You know, it used to work back in the 90s, but <laughs> now when, yeah. so, when I say it, people look at me like, who's that? But anyway, um, you know, so my mom was interested in things like that. And um, my father, his mother always told everyone he was psychic when he was a little kid. So I mean, I just grew up around it. And I always just assumed it was normal. My little sister, by the time she was able to verbally talk, you know, where you could understand her, she was telling my mom that um, she saw colors around people's heads. And she Mm -hmm. talked to dead people, you know, and still to this day, she's 60 years old, and she still talks to dead people, you know? Yeah. Um, and this was before, what when June, now I had a couple of, God, there's so much, squirrel, squirrel. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's okay, had, we, we chase squirrels on this podcast. It's all right, <laughs> don't worry about it. I, I had a, uh, when I was a teenager, I had um, an experience with two other girls in a car um out in the country uh, we saw a light in the sky that ended up on the ground and uh i had uh, actually the gal who was driving actually had more memory of it than i did and then uh when i was a young married woman um not that long after because i got married you know at 18 um i had a, an event where these two little gray guys came in my bedroom with a black box and um you know, when I first saw them, I was terrified, but th- immediately was not scared anymore. As soon as I saw the box, eh, I just calmed down. And it, I don't know, I just, it, it was and when I was in, when I started going to elementary school and I got to the age where I could start talking to other kids and I quickly realized that not everybody's family sees ghosts or horrors or, or things like that. And, you know, I just quit talking about it because I wanted to be normal and I wanted to have friends you know yeah but uh it it never stopped I remember a time my mom my sister and I sitting at the kitchen table at the time all of us smoked and we were sitting there drinking coffee and having a cigarette one of those great big glass amber ashtrays you know the Mm -hmm. ones weigh like 10 pounds yeah on the table and um I reached over to flip my ash off my cigarette and when I did the ashtray snapped in half and split <gasps> apart. One side slid to one side of the table. One side slid to the other. Oh. And all the all the mess and ashes sat in the middle. And here's three different reactions. My mom, who apparently is okay with this sort of stuff, she's like, "Oh my God, that ashtray was expensive." And my, <laughs> yeah, that that that's what her thinking. My thinking was, "Oh my God, that's so cool. Did I do that?" And my sister's thinking was, hell with that, I'm out of here. And she took her purse and went home. <laughs> so three different reactions in the same family, you know. I, I remember oh. one time we were sitting at the table again, and my mom had some Indian corn on the door. It was fall and, you know, multicolored yeah. corn on the door. And it started rattling, the corn. You could hear it scra- scrapping on the door and shaking back and forth. And we all looked up and there was no one there. But the corn was moving. And again, mm. my sister grabs her purse and she's like, see ya. <laughs> and she's <laughs> out of there. Stay. <laughs> yeah. So, but I mean, when that sort of stuff happens to you all the time and you grow up around it, 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 you kind of get immune to it after a while. And I did, there were a lot of times I think I just would notice little things and think, oh, whatever, you know, 
I mean, because it happened so much. But then after the June 30th, 1983 thing that happened that Bud wrote about in Intruders, it seems like all of that stuff, that stuff that was already there kind of exploded. It's like it magnified and to the nth time, you know, we had like what you would call poltergeist activity on an almost daily basis for a year afterwards. Not, not only was, not only was bizarre stuff going on with me, but in the house too. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think it's in the book. I was, I was downstairs. um, At one point I was downstairs folding laundry. It might've been after I already moved out but I can't remember. All I know is down in mom's house, folding laundry in the basement because it was a tri-level and there was a TV down there. I was watching TV. The baby was in his uh, playpen. And the laundry, of course, was down in the basement. And I I heard, I, I was at home alone, but I suddenly heard a bunch of footsteps all through the house, like little footsteps, like children running around everywhere. Mm-hmm. I heard the stereo turning on and off. I heard the... Uh, I heard noise in the kitchen and, um, sorry, get distracted here. I heard noise in the kitchen and, um, then the baby starts crying and he wants a bottle. He, it's time for him to eat. And I'm like, Oh my God, what are you doing? Why are you crying? Um, I finally had to make my way up the stairs slowly to the kitchen to open the refrigerator, to grab the bottle. And when I did, I opened up the refrigerator and, like lids off of the Tupperware bowls and butter bowls and everything oh my flew God. everywhere. So I grabbed the bottle and ran back downstairs. At one point, I think I called my sister uh, because I was so afraid. And um, while I was on the, it was either my sister or my mom, whenever, whoever I was on the phone with, I heard the extension upstairs pick up. Yeah. You, you know, on the, and, yeah. and at that point, it was either my mom or my sister said, call the police, call the police right now, hang up and call the police. And I said, if I can't, if they're on the extension, I can't hang up. And she said, I'll call them. And she hung up. The police came out. Uh, they were everywhere. I mean, they pulled up in the front, they pulled up in the back. They had their guns. They went through the whole house. They even went in the attic. They went to the back and there was nobody there. And the door inside was still locked with the chain lock on the back. Oh, so, yeah, just, you know, uh, light bulbs would explode and drop down out of hanging lamps and then shoot across the room. And it, was, it wasn't just happening around me. It was happening to everybody in the family. But, uh, and strangely enough, even when we moved, like when I moved out of that house, it came, the weirdness came with me. When my sister moved, it went, it, you know, it came to, went with her. It So it wasn't the property. It was us mm-hmm. <laughs> that this was attached to or going with, you know? Yeah. And like I said, I kind of connected it with the UFO stuff because it seemed like it intensified so much after the June 30, 83 incident. It got stronger and different. And I started to change also at that point. Uh, so... And then later I became, like, when something scares me, it's my tendency to want to learn as much about it as I can. Mm-hmm. And as I told you before, when the, when the event of June 30, 83 that Bud wrote about in Intruders happened, one of the first things I did was try to figure out what caused it. 
to try to rule out and you know anything and find a rational explanation for it because what little bits and pieces of memory I had I couldn't accept it, it yeah. didn't fit in my world it just didn't this stuff doesn't happen like that you know because we were beyond the the ghost stuff at that point oh yeah so um uh, and that wasn't working. Like I so I, like I told you, I could find plenty of people to tell me what it wasn't, but I couldn't find anybody that was bold enough to tell me what it might be or what it was, you know. And um, I had read Bud Hopkins' book. I tried to read Bud Hopkins' book, Missing Time. Couldn't. I've never finished it to this day. And uh, in the back of that book, there was a place where you could write to him if you thought you'd had an experience like that. So um, I went back to the library and got the address out of the book, and I wrote him, told him about the June 30 incident. I also threw my uh, older sister under the bus and told him about her 1965 experience that she had with the UFO in the church parking lot. And um, he, I don't know, was a month, maybe six weeks or so later, I heard from him again, back again. And he, um, that was when the investigation began, you know, and at that point I was having a nervous breakdown, I think. Um, but I was still desperately trying to find what was going on. Mm-hmm. Now, I, as I worked with Bud and my family worked with Bud through the following three years, I realized that I, I, there was a lot I didn't know about this whole UFO thing. I mean, not other than Close Encounters of the Third Kind and the Barney and Betty Hill movie, Interrupted Journey, you know, and Missing Time. I didn't have a lot of exposure to that stuff. Mm-hmm. Most of it was the paranormal side, the poltergeist and the, the mind, you know, being psychic and mm-hmm. moving things with your mind and reading cards down and all that stuff. It wasn't the UFO stuff. So I, I figured out pretty quickly that knowledge is power, and the more I knew about something, the 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 less afraid I was. So I started to learn as much as much as I could. But in the beginning, Bud didn't want me to read books about UFO stuff uh, or abduction stuff. He wanted me to stay away from all of that because he didn't want the possibility of something leaking in, into my subconscious, mm-hmm. you know, and then coming out later. He wanted me to, to stay the way I was. So I honored that for the longest time. But once I got the okay from him, I started to try to learn as much about it as I could and about other people's experiences. And I ended up becoming a, an investigator for MUFON, Indiana, for several years. And I learned a whole bunch. Uh, I also learned that there was a lot of people out there like me. And I also learned that, uh, and in the course of uh, going with Bud around when he did lectures about intruders, you know, when the book first came out and, and I did go with him and I met lots and lots of people like me, I also discovered that they too had this whole paranormal side that none of the UFO researchers were really wanting to talk about. Even Bud wasn't completely comfortable talking about some of this, you know, in intruders or with, you know, in the in the conferences. He might brush brush by it a little bit just to, but uh, it, I found that when I'm the more people that I met like me, the more this is a part of it, mm-hmm. and and the changes are a part of it. The poltergeist activity that happened around me and my family, and the things that were happening to me, like. The time that I was uh, cleaning, 
helping my sister clean my mom's cabinets. We were refinishing them and, and cleaning the brass handles and stuff up for their anniversary gift. I was just a teenager at the time, but I was pissed off because my sister was making me do it and I didn't want to. <laughs> and so I'm, I remember being out in the driveway with a scrub brush and a bucket of soapy water and some crap that I had to rub on these brass handles to get them clean. And I'm just rubbing and rubbing and rubbing. And my sister comes out and sticks her hands in the bucket and pulls out all these handles I'd already cleaned. And she's like, what the hell did you do? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And all these brass handles were twisted up. Oh, I did not twist them, and we couldn't twist them back. We ended up having to go buy new handles. She, she's somehow that I did that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, I don't know how I did it, and I don't remember doing it because I was just pissed and scrubbing them in the water. But I mean, things like this. But guess what? Other people who've seen UFOs or had contact with something like me have reported that too. I didn't know it at the time. But I found out later, other people have reported heightened psychic awareness, heightened abilities, you know, intuition, um, strange electrical things happen around them. I mean, oh, yeah. it's part of it. And for so many, so many years back in the 80s and 90s, the UFO research community was all nuts and bolts. Hell, they didn't even want to talk to you if you saw a... A creature. If you became like a oh, CE4 yeah. or 5, they're like, okay, no, thanks, bye. Have a nice yeah. day. Yeah, Or they you just know, they, leave that part out. Or, they, or yes, they just leave it out. But it did it such an injustice because, because it is a part of it. It is a part of us. And it's, you know, I dare say, I, this is my opinion, maybe it's um, part of the point. I don't know. Uh, or it was, maybe it's either... I always said, was I like this, therefore attracted this attention? Was it generational? Was my my entire family line of people like this? Or did something they do do to you change something that made me like this, you know? Yeah. But for whatever reason, these two subjects, this paranormal side and this UFO side, go hand in hand. I, I mean... The only common denominator I've been able to find in 30 years of, of meeting people has been the actual person who experienced it. We're all similar types of people, mm-hmm. you know, intellectually and psychically and spiritually, you know? Yeah. Anyway, yeah. it's just weird. Yeah, I've got a, like I said, I have a cornucopia of weirdness about my entire life. I've, you know, we've had... Uh, one time we woke up and my kids' room was absolutely full of bees, hundreds of bees, yeah, hanging off the drapes, wild. hanging off the walls, hanging off the light fixtures. But they were all so lethargic, you could scoop them up with your hands and they'd barely move, let alone sting you, not sting you, you know. We swept them up with a shop vac um, and took them outside. The, and we never could figure out how they even got in that room because there wasn't any attic exit or entrance door there and the windows had been painted shut by my father who was <laughs> you yeah. know he was in trouble by it already by my mom they hadn't gotten it fixed yet but you know the windows were painted shut there was nowhere these For things the could get to in come from and the and the house was a uh, sandstone tri-level it was a stone house with um plaster walls 
Oh, you know? wow. So we couldn't figure out where they came from. And then we've had things like, um, I think the word is apports, where mm-hmm. things just disappear and reappear in weird places. Yep. I, yeah, that ha- that's happened all my life. Mm-hmm. And that's happened all my life, too, with the multitude of things, even going far back as to my early teens, you know, 11, 12, 13. But um, uh, one in particular that stood out because I completely destroyed a bedroom carpet over it was uh, I was living with my parents at the time. And I believe it was after the June 30, 83 incident. My boyfriend had given me a promise ring. And we got in a fight and I got pissed off at him. So I took the ring off and I put it on the nightstand next to my bed and went to sleep. When I got up the next morning, I felt naked. I reached over to put my ring back on and it was gone. And I tore that room up for three days. I looked everywhere in that house for that ring and couldn't find it anywhere. And like on the third day, I was in my kids' room, which was the room next to mine, vacuuming and cleaning. And some overwhelming urge, something kept telling me that ring is in this room. Because be careful when, I'm thinking to myself, I need to be careful when I run the sweeper, I'm going to sweep this ring up and it's in here. It's in the room on the floor. So I'm, I'm all over the floor trying to find this ring, can't find it. I know it's here. Then I start moving the beds over and I pull the side, the carpeting up off the tack strip on one side that was under uh, Casey's bed, slip my hand up under there where the padding was, and I didn't, didn't feel anything. But it kept telling me, go further, go further, go further, you'll find it. And I had that carpet just about almost tore up that whole wall on that side. And under the padding, a little bit, almost the middle of the room, it was a small room, but almost the middle of the room, there was that ring under the carpeting, and under the padding, which was stapled to the wood floor. Yeah, because, yeah. Yeah, wow. and in the mint, like near the end of me ripping up the padding, my mom comes in and she's like, what in the hell are you doing? And she was absolutely furious. And it was right about that time that I got a hold of the ring. And I whipped my hand out and I'm like, look at this. And she, my mom's mouth hit the floor. She's like, what? Because she knew that I'd lost this ring. And she goes, where was that? Where was that ring? And I said, it was under the padding. Oh, my God. It's like, how do you, first of all, how did it get there? And second of all, how did I know? You know, but it's weird. This this is my life. This has Mm -hmm. been, I've had weird stuff like this happen to me my whole life. Thank God, early on, I decided to start writing it down. Mm -hmm. And I've been keeping a journal diary-like since, well, I did it as a teenager for a while, you know, and then I got, I got bored with it after a while. And then I had little kids and I started it back up again. Uh, Round the June, around the early eighties, I started it back up again, started writing down every little weird thing. Now, uh, like I said before, I've tried very hard to try to be skeptical, even of my own stuff. And I really feel like nobody really knows the whole answers to everything. I mean, we, yeah. we have we have our we have our educated guesses and our you know our opinions, but as far as actual factual stuff goes, hell, I've got a whole lifetime worth of stuff that I'm not quite sure what it all means. I have my own theories, I have my own hunches, I have what feels right to me and my own opinions, but that's all they are, and. Um, but I have tried very, very hard not to 
fall down that rabbit hole. Of, oh, yeah. You know, it's so easy when you're somebody like me who's had this kind of life. It's really easy to blame every weird little thing on something woo-woo-y and paranormal and get all whipped up about it and get all scared and everything else. And I, I didn't have time for that. I was a single mom at that point trying to raise two kids and I had to stay sane because these yeah. boys needed me. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I did everything in my power to try to find the rational explanation. And then again, as an investigator of UFO reports and of paranormal reports, I did the same thing. I've always tried to find the rational explanation. And, you know, 95% of the time I could. Yeah. Not not only with my own stuff, but other people's as well. It's that 5%. That that got my panties in a twist, and yeah. <laughs> ended up being a, ended up being a, you know a couple of books. But um, I I have also figured out you know that people get distracted by daily life. Daily life is so distracted, distracting, and I feel like for every person out there like me who is out there telling our weird stories and flying our freak flag for the world to see. There's probably 25,000 other people that are listening to me talk and tell my stories and thinking, well, I remember something like this or this happened or that happened, but they're never going to tell anybody. Yeah. So, so I've come to the conclusion at the age of 64 that if you don't have a story, whether you tell it or not, then you ain't paying attention because life is just weird. And we live in a weird, weird place. And, and we do. <laughs> and, and. And human beings are incredibly, we're, I, we, I don't think we fully remember what we're capable of, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and things just happen all around us. So, yeah. So yeah. anyway, that's yeah. my story. <laughs> that's, and that's why I started this podcast, because I, I saw an uptick in weird, in reports of weird things in, in uh, 2019. And that was right before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what is going on? And uh, my daughter Morgana and a bunch of my friends who all, you know, notice weird stuff. We were all having weird stuff happening. People were reporting stuff on the Internet. And we were just like, what, uh, you know, what's going on? And I had a friend who had urged me for years to do a podcast because she said, you know, you've got all of this weird stuff that's happened to you. You should tell those stories. And I said, well, yeah, I mean, it's it's not going to hurt anything now. You mm -hmm. know, the the, the ex-husband is you know, no longer vindictively stalking me. And, well, that's you know, a good thing. Yeah. yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, my family has calmed down or we don't talk or whatever. And so, yeah, I could probably do that. And so when I started the podcast, I realized how many people were out there who had weird stuff happen fairly often, but they had no one to talk about it with. Yeah, and exactly. That's so hard. Having, mm -hmm. you know, held on to stuff alone for a long time and just telling, like, you know, a few people, some of whom were around when it happened, so we at least, you know, had that. <laughs> we yeah. could say, yeah, you saw that too, right? Yeah, I Definitely, saw that too. Definitely, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, li 
I lived in Indiana in the middle, and I still do, you know, during, I've been born and raised here, all the weird stuff's happened here. And it's like, you know, people don't, sometimes I don't, I don't think they realize that the intruders event of June 30, 83 was 40 years ago. We didn't have internet. Yeah. Let alone yeah. Facebook or anything else. We didn't have email. We didn't yeah. have text message. We didn't have cell phones. We couldn't find each other. You know. No, I mean, I could literally go years without talking to, to anybody mm-hmm. outside of the family about any of this. And, you know, we talk about it a lot when in my family because this we had each other and we were experiencing it together. It wasn't just me. One thing I will say, too, is had all of this weirdness just happened to me over all this time, you best be believing I would be the first person to be asking, you know, am I crazy? Give me some pills. When mm-hmm. Bud, you know, when Bud first uh, arranged for me to be in New York and have some psychological testing, uh, I had six hours of verbal and written psychological testing done. And one of the first things I said to the guy, one of the guys doing the testing was, it's okay if you tell me I'm crazy. Yeah, because I, I the same thing. you know, do I, I know they make pills for that. And if I can take a pill and make all this shit go away, I'll be perfectly happy. You know, at that point, that's how I felt because I, and I was young and I was afraid and I didn't understand. Uh, as I've, as I've grown and matured and kind of grown into my shoes here with this and, and my understanding and my, um, awareness has, has grown and, uh, something in me has woke up, I guess. I, uh, uh, I wouldn't not have had these experiences. I wouldn't go back and change anything as scary and traumatic and hard as it was at that point in my life. And, you know, I, I like I said, I thought I was going to have a nervous breakdown, but I wouldn't go back and change anything because it, because of that, I am where I'm at now. And where I'm at now is a place where I'm, I'm glad to be. And I'm striving to be even more, you know, at this point, I'm going to be a work in progress till the last breath while I'm here. But, um, you know, it's, I, like I said, I could go literally years without talking to anybody. And then when the investigation, when the investigation first started with Bud, it was predominantly done by written snail mail, which was more dependable than it is now. Yeah. It Uh, worked fairly well at one time. And, um, uh, phone calls, which were strategically placed after 6 p.m. because the rates dropped for long-distance calls, and they never lasted more than five minutes unless it was an emergency. Yep. You know, because long-distance phone calls were expensive. We didn't have cell phones that you'd call over the world with. You know, it was a different time. And also, the, the stigma around even reporting seeing a UFO was was harsh and hard. And when Bud wanted to write the book, when, you know, after a few years of the investigation, he's like, I think this is a really important case. We've got trace, you know, Kate, we've got trace evidence, you know, marks in the yard. We've got independent witnesses. We've got medical evidence. We've got all this other stuff. And he goes, I think this is a really important case and I want the world to know about it. And he asked my family, wasn't just up to me. It was, it was an entire family. Can I, you know, I want to write a book about your story and your family. And, you know, our family had to talk about it for a while before we, because I'm my first instinct was I don't think so. Nah, uh, you know I don't need all that shit. You know I, life's hard enough. I don't want to have to deal with this either. And um, 
finally we said, you know, he convinced us it would be helpful, it would help other people, that we weren't alone, that this was a big, bigger than we knew, you know. So the family said, okay, and I ended up having to take one for the team. I was the one that <laughs> came. But, it, you know, and he promised anonymity, you know. Everybody had pseudonyms. Even the place, Copley Woods, is not a real place. That's a pseudonym for where it actually happened. Because we had people coming to our house to take pictures of our backyard and oh. do stuff in the mark before Intruders was even published. When it was just being known in the, the ufology world, you know, in the in the circuit, I guess, would you call it, the where the conferences were. We had people coming to the house and taking pictures of the backyard. Somebody came and took some stuff out of the yard. We weren't even home when that happened. The neighbor told us that we that she'd seen him in our backyard. And um, so we thought, if this gets to be a book and people read it, what the hell's going to happen to us then? You know. And I had to think of my kids. I did not want my children to be stigmatized by what their mother t- talked about. You yeah. know, it wasn't fair oh, to yeah. them. And I will, I'm mama bear. I will throw some hands anybody who messes with my children. I don't care. Um, but uh, Bud said, you know, we'll do this as anonymously as we can. And I did go with him and speak. Uh, I did not speak. He'd pull me up on the stage and I'd answer a couple questions and I'd go back and hide because I was so nervous. I thought I was going to faint the first time I ever stepped up on a stage. And... Um, but then, you know, I started meeting people and I started meeting people like me that I'd never had the experience to do before because I've been sitting in the middle of Indiana in the corn forever all by myself, you know? Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, it's a whole different world now. It's it, You can buy alien head t-shirts at Walmart and they're all over TV. Marketers use it in their advertising and their commercials yeah. and everybody. It's cool. People are going out with flashlights trying to have experiences. We didn't do that very much back in the 80s. No. <laughs> you know? But, uh, and that's fine. If that's what you want to do, you know, right on. <laughs> More power to you. But um, it's just a different world now than it was then. And the stigma is a lot less. So I'm hoping... One of the reasons that I finally took my real name and put it out there is when I wrote Abducted with my sister, our aim with that book was to take, you know, Bud's Intruders was our case by the investigator's point of view. Abducted, the story of Intruders Continues, which was written by myself and my older sister, was the story but it's first-person account. It was us telling our own story. And that's when I, my sister and I decided to use our real names because I thought, okay, if I'm going to put this out here in my own words, I need to own those words. It's not right that I would expect anybody to even pay attention to it, let alone believe it, if I won't even use my real name, you know? Yeah. And so this is what I did, right or wrong, and um, it didn't turn out to be quite as scary and horrible as I thought it would be, although I've had, I've been attacked over the years. I don't give a shit what people think of me anymore. I'm 65. <laughs> if you don't like me, just move on. You know, there's plenty of yeah. other people out there you can hate on. I'm just a little old grandma here trying to leave a legacy for my granddaughter at this point. The, the, uh, my whole deal right now is trying to help as many people as I can that are like me who've 
had UFO experiences, who've had paranormal experiences, who are stuck in the middle between both. Uh, to, to see that you can come through that, come over, above, you can rise above it, you can use it to, you know, grow with your, through yourself, you know what I mean? And you can come out of it the other end uh, even better. And um, that you're not alone. Because that was one of the biggest things for me for years and years and years is I felt so alone with nobody to talk to about this other than, you know, mom and my sisters and a couple friends and neighbors. But I mean, to be able to talk about it to anybody, you know, and I wanted to put myself out there and pay it forward because I was lucky. I was more fortunate than most people like me because I did have the support of my family and my co-workers and my friends and neighbors I had that support that most people don't have and so I wanted to help pay that forward as well because I feel like that's part of what I was supposed to be doing so when I wrote the book um, Extraordinary Contact that was my way of of reaching out to people that have been through the things I've been through and for them to see that um, you know I'm okay and you're going to be okay too. And don't be afraid. You know, life is just weird and we're all here together and we'll hold yeah. each other's hand, you know? And, um, yeah, I, I monitor, I, I moderate the, I help moderate the zero, uh, Midwest, uh, Facebook experiencers, uh, private page for people who've had these experiences want a safe place to talk about their experiences where they're not going to be judged. Nobody's scientists here. We're not going to pick you apart or judge you. Just feel free to, to cut loose and, and let it fly. And, and it, it's okay. And, uh, so I have, I'm doing that. I'm a member of Ciro. Um, Yvonne Smith started this group about 30 years ago out in California and it was used to be just for, um, you know, the regional people. But now she's she does Zoom meetings for out-of-town members, which is, I think, great. And it helps to connect people that feel alone in wherever they're at, like I used to be. And I think it's a great thing. Close Encounters Research Organization. There you later go. Later renamed Close Encounter Resource Organization instead of Research. So, yeah, it is support groups. It's for people yeah. who have PTSD because of their experiences. Okay. And I'm also... And it, I'm, it's oh, over sorry. 20 years old. It got its 20th anniversary in 2012. Yeah. I, I'm also a little ironic. Yeah, it is actually. Um, I'm also um, a supporting member... I think, uh, I don't think that's what they're calling me. Let's see. It's Hollywood Disclosure Alliance. And uh, they are, um, let me let me see if I can figure out. Uh, it, what they try to get the information out you know, Hollywood is making movies, documentaries and stuff all the time now about UFO stuff. And they're trying to get the correct information out, you know, uh, right. stuff that's happening. Stephen Bassett and Dan Harroway are uh, the founders of this. It's called the Hollywood Disclosure Alliance. And I'm I'm participating in that and only just because I want to help get the right 
the accurate message out. You know, if Hollywood is going to make millions of dollars making movies about UFOs and aliens and stuff, at least they can do it correctly and, and not jack it all up. My um, Intruders, yeah. the miniseries Intruders that was done based very loosely on Bud's book Intruders. You know, when when it first came out, I was kind of disappointed in it and feel, felt kind of angry and kind of sad because there, other than a couple of brief um, scenes in this whole documentary, this whole docu-series, there was nothing that remotely resembled my case or anything about it or me. What Tracy Torme did was he bought the option to use the title and anything in the book he wanted, but then he took Hollywood license, you know, and, and he ended up taking like all kinds of different cases and, and combined them into different characters, fictional characters and fictional mm-hmm. events, but based on true stories. With exception of two scenes that came directly out of Intruders, uh, it was nothing like me. But yet when I went to speak at a conference somewhere or something, uh, inevitably I would be, people would be like, oh, I, they saw in the miniseries and they, that's why they came to hear me speak and they wanted to meet me and they wanted to tell me they, they had, they wanted to ask me about a certain scene in the movie and, it, and it, I hated to have to tell them that wasn't me. That wasn't something that happened to me. I know it was in that movie, but this is what they did. And you know what I mean? Yeah. But, and so I was disappointed and I felt bad because I didn't, I didn't, I had to tell the truth. I wasn't going to, I didn't, I felt bad that these people felt bad, but I didn't want to lie to them, you know? And, but in retrospect now, if you watch that miniseries, it's probably one of the first things on TV because it's like 92 or 93. It was one of the first things, one of the first things on TV that, that did the subject, one of the first things that did the subject with some respect and didn't make it look like a bunch of clowns and, and jerks. There wasn't a laugh track. People weren't giggling. There wasn't yeah. like porn music in the background or some doofity stuff like that, you know. They actually treated it with respect. And Mayor Winningham, who played my character, the one that was based on me, actually called me twice and wanted to talk to me about the two scenes that she was doing because she wanted to, they were emotional and she wanted to do right by me, which Mm -hmm. I was extremely thankful for and impressed by. So, you know, but anyways, getting, I I felt like getting involved in this uh, Hollywood Alliance would help to keep the, you know, the truth coming out, not a bunch of made up stuff. And you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. And, and also I do a podcast every Thursday live stream at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with my buddy Greg Cable. It's called Midwest Paratalk Radio, which we did that 10 years ago for quite a long time. And then we had to go on hi- hiatus and I got bumped to second shift and he moved to, <laughs> to Georgia and, you know, life just threw a bunch of monkey wrenches in our plan. But now I'm retired and he's back in Indiana. So we've resurrected Midwest Paratalk and we're doing that again, trying to get good information out and, you know, talk to people. Sometimes it's just me and him talking about stuff. And I might talk about some of my experiences and weird things that might have happened and then sometimes we have guests that we talk to 
you know, if I can ever talk anybody into coming on and being guests with us. <laughs> it's, you know, or Greg, he's, he knows the he's the paranormal side and I'm the UFO side uh, of Midwest Paratalk. But uh, so nice. I do that. I stay busy trying to help people as best I can, you know, and that's my whole thing now. I feel like um, there's a reason why this has happened to me and there's a reason why I'm here. And I think that I'm supposed to be helping people with this because you know i already know that we don't live alone in this universe or this world or even on this planet frankly uh but it's going to come as a rude awakening for a lot of people and when it does i'll be there to help them <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> me and it's a whole sorta... bunch of other people like you <laughs> Reducing the ontological shock for everybody else. That's I, I need a T-shirt that says "Reducing the ontological shock for you." <laughs> <laughs> that would be a funny T-shirt. Yeah, and, uh, and hardly no one would understand what it means. I know, I know. <laughs> the occasional, like I don't know, anthropologist would be, "Oh, which ontological shock?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, buddy, sit down. <laughs> have we got some for you yeah uh yeah I, you know i just i re one of the other things that i was struck by is you know as you said when you moved out of your parents home it followed you when your sister moved out it followed her yep and there's one part in your uh in your book i think it's in the the poltergeists in the paranormal chapter that you talk about your neighbor having a visit from six little guys with pointed hoods and, Poor Bridget, and how yeah. it never used to be weird before you moved in like, yes that's exactly <laughs> she said you know this stuff didn't happen until you moved in <laughs> i remember her coming to me one time she's like did you hear all the rattling last night her she lived above me and she had a balcony um, you know, with the metal balcony, and I guess it rattled like the go gets, you know, in the middle of the oh. night. And yeah, oh. she of course came downstairs first thing in the morning and blamed me for it. <laughs> so what were You're, you tell doing? Your, I... Tell your friends to knock that shit off. <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> People are trying to sleep here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that. Mm. I, I just. <laughs> That made me wonder, you know, every time I've lived in an apartment, did I, like, you know, destroy people's <laughs> sleep and they just couldn't figure out who had done it, what was happening? Yeah, right? <laughs> God knows what kind of wake I've left behind. <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you, there's, a, and, and I see weird things. I see weird, I don't know if I can just see things that other people don't see. Like, shopping is an event for me. I, I, I One time I was at the Walmart and I was standing there looking at the uh, massive choices of salads, of bagged salads and cut vegetables and all that jazz. And I felt somebody looking at me. You know how you can just kind of feel somebody yeah. looking at you sometimes? And I turned around and looked to, to my left. There was this tall, skinny dude. Tall, look goth, all black clothes, black pants, black shirt, black hair, black eyes. I mean, really dark eyes, you know. And he was, he had one of those red baskets in his arm, which really stood out from all the black, right? 
And he was looking at me. He was, his body was faced straight ahead, but his head was turned right at me, looking dead on me. And he had this most bizarre, creepy smile on his face. Like, you felt me, you know, or something like that. Oh. And mm. I, yeah, and I was like, <gasps> and I turned, I turned back away from him like, don't do that to me, dude. That is not even cool. And then when I turned and looked back again, he was gone. And I'm like, hold on. I took off running to the end of the aisle and I looked down the aisle and I kind of trotted down. I was looking down each aisle as, you know, there's, I looked over that whole store and he was nowhere to be seen. And then it occurred to me later, was he actually even there? I mean, was I the only Mm. one who could see him? Was this a test to see if I Mm -hmm. could see him? And why was he so happy when I looked at him like, he was like, oh, you see me? Because I went, oh. <laughs> which was pretty Jeez. rude. But, yeah. you know, this it, it, and now I can imagine that this would happen to a lot of people. But a lot of people would never de- dare say it to anybody out loud because you, automatically yeah. I think that bit, she crazy. <laughs> I think yeah. I'm crazy, yeah. you know. Yeah. So it's like. You know, but I'm I'm just putting it out there. I'm just saying I'm all I'm saying all the stuff that people are too scared to say. I guess I don't know. <laughs> it it oh, happens. That is a good one, though. It happens. That it happens all the time. I mean, not to me all the time, but it happens every day to somebody. Yeah, yeah. There I don't is know definitely. Why. But I felt yeah. like it's some kind of test. You know, I could be wrong. I always preface everything with I could be wrong because I could be wrong. But I almost felt like it was some kind of test to see what I was capable of doing. Yeah. And of course, it had to happen at Walmart. Well, because, everything happens at Walmart. Have you seen well, yeah, I mean, people at Walmart? <laughs> I was going to say, have you seen the website, Barbara? Yep. Oh, well, I mean, I've like, seen really. it. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, it would happen at Walmart. Mm-hmm. I I know that you know, my husband and I uh, had this series of stories that we used to tell each other, but then we, we started writing it down. We've been writing it down for a million years now. Um, and it had all these characters in it, and they all had very specific looks to them. And a few times when we owned a bookstore here in Athens, you know, we'd be sitting there and a person would come in and he would look exactly like one of our characters and he would look at stuff and look at us and sort of nod and, and then wander off and we'd never see him again. And we live in a very small town. I mean, it's a college town. So when the college students are here, there's a lot of, a lot more, you know, a lot of energy, <laughs> lot, always oh, tons of energy. There's yeah. yeah, lots. And, uh, we would never see them again. And, and there, you know, there were people that we'd see, they'd come in, they wouldn't talk to us. And then we'd, you know, go to the grocery store and we'd see them or we'd see them walking, you know, uptown or up on the green, you know, but these people that were in our story, we'd only see them like once. And then they were gone. It was almost as if they were like, Hey, thanks for making me. Hey, (laughs) or Hey, thanks for hearing my life story and, and telling it, Hey, you know, <laughs> they, they just disappear. And yeah, that's one of the ones I don't tell most people because, you know, they're just going to be like, yeah, right, lady. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's normal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I just laugh. I laugh a lot. I crack jokes because you know what? Sometimes if you can't, if I didn't laugh, I'd just cry. <laughs> yeah, that's so. that's how I am. Uh, crying is, is, you know, there's a place to cry. There's a time to cry, yeah. but you don't want to do it all the time. No, man, I get a headache when I cry. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I did I enough of that. for a day. I did that enough in my younger years. I've, I've, I bank some, so I'm good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so one of the, one of the really interesting story, well, you tell various stories about, you've seen physical craft, but you also have seen uh, lights Mm-hmm. that come out of the sky and then land. And mm-hmm. you've also seen the smaller ones that come in and out of your house. This is a thing that I experienced a lot. Mm-hmm. And when you told the green ping pong ball, it, it, what, it messed up your television. Did it turn your television off? It, it turned the TV off. It um, made the telephone ring. Um, oh, jeez. I'm trying to... Th- I know it cut the light off mom was sitting next to, but I'm trying to think. I don't think maybe the light bulb broke. You know, I mean, this was 30 some years ago. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was a, it was me, my mom, my two kids, my kids were on the floor playing. Mom was on the couch and I was in the chair. We were watching TV. Daddy had one of those big, big screen TVs, but it was one of the big horse kind, you know, before the flat. Oh yeah. The the ones that weighed millions of pounds. Yeah. Like a rear projection TV or something like that. Anyways. Um, we were in the living room. Dad was at work. It was nighttime. It was, you know, this, it was dark out. Lights were on. And it just so happened that it happened. It, I mean, when it happened, I just happened to look up at the instant that it happened. And I saw the ball of light. It was kind of in the middle of the room a little bit. It was closer to my mom and the couch where she was sitting and about head height from her on the couch. And I don't know, it was like, ping pong ball size but it was bright and it was green green is green like intense like i call it paranormal green you know what i'm talking about like fluorescent yeah yeah that that weird super bright weird green yeah and uh at i my mom covered she dick put down and covered her face you know caught her eyes closed the kids heads were down and their eyes were closed and i'm of course i'm like head up looking right at at dead it. at it staring right at it i'm like what the <laughs> hell is that at the exact moment cuts off the tv um i believe the light bulb breaks in the lamp that's mom mm-hmm. sitting next to and the telephone rang but it only rang one time you know it's like a, a trunk ring or whatever it was a landline a phone rang yeah and uh, i remember my mom later my kids were freaked out. I'm like, what the hell was that? I remember later my mom talking to my dad. My dad was an electrician. She's like kind of, dad's like, there's no way on the planet that a light bulb breaking in a lamp, you know, 10 feet away is going to make a green ball of light in the middle of the living room. And that also cannot shut the TV off and make the phone ring either. What it was, what happened, I have no idea. I've had people question that it was like either the beginning or the end of an entire event that none of us has any recollection of that I don't know I couldn't tell you but uh you know again this is the kind of thing that if it was just happening to me I'd be like okay I done lost my mind but my mother was with us mom was there the kids were there you know it wasn't like I was there by myself so 
Yeah, that was bizarre. And then I'm when we lived out on the farm, after I got moved out, the kids were older, I lived on a farm, and, and my late husband, I think he'd already passed away by then, uh, and Dave, my current husband, was there. Uh, his daughter was there, and I remember we were in the living room, I think, or the dining room, and this little ball of white, bluish-white light came right through the living room window, right through the living room, mm-hmm. through the dining room, whizzed right past our heads, went in the kitchen, whizzed around, and then shot back through the dining room and back out the dining room window. little ball of light, bluish-white light, probably, I'm going to say, maybe the size of a dime, you know, or a little yeah, bigger. tiny. Yeah, mm-hmm. not big at all. And the same thing happened to me with the same kind of light, a little bluish ball of light. I, it was like 2.30 in the morning, and I was coming home. I had been at the club. I was at the bar with a couple girlfriends having a, having a beer, you know. Um, I was 2.30 in the morning. I was at the intersection of, like, Washington Street and Post Road or something in Indianapolis, and it was, I mean, there was lights everywhere, street lights. It was, it was like suburb or, you know, I don't know how to, what you call that, like stores and shopping plazas everywhere. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm sitting in my car at the red light and this blue ball of light comes down out of the sky, comes right through the glass of my passenger side, through my car, right in front of me and out the, out the door. I mean, out the other side, the other glass, and up. And I'm like, what the hell? Cause, and I was not drunk. I hadn't been drinking. It was bizarre. And it was, again, another little blue ball of light, little, little bluish white balls of light. I've even had, in the house we lived in on Washington Street, the little place we rented, uh, this was before... I moved to the farmhouse and all the blue ball (laughs) stuff was happening. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That did not sound good. Sorry. But um, that's all right. This little house that we were living in, weird stuff was happening. And I would walk down the hallway and I would be hit in the forehead with a drop of water, a big drop of water. Or I'd be in the living room and I'd get just out of nowhere. I'd get hit in the, forehead always right here in the middle of my forehead a drop of water to where I wet you can feel it it was wet but yet there was we could never find where it came from there was no leaks there was no ceiling wet nothing it's just like a, a drop of water would just manifest out of nowhere and hit me right between the eyes like right you know on my forehead right between my eyes where they say your third eye is right there a drop of water. And I had that happen to me. That also happened to me in the apartment that I lived in. Before I moved into that little bungalow, it happened to me there as well. Didn't happen to anybody else in the house, just me. And I find, we got to, to the point where we called it my baptism. That was getting baptized. <laughs> That's what my ex-husband told me I was being baptized. <laughs> baptized drop by drop. Yeah, it, it just, you know, okay, and now, see, such bizarre shit, and there was a time in my life when I wouldn't dream of telling a soul this stuff, And but like I said, I'm to the point now where I don't care. If you think I'm crazy, you ain't alone, because I probably thought I was too, you know, for a long time, but um, now that I have found out that there's so many people, there's more people that have stories like this than not. They just ain't. That's what I've. I believe. I believe that's a fact. Yeah. 
I, I've started to actually believe that too. And um, I feel like the more I go out and act a fool and tell people this crazy stuff, the more comfortable they'll feel to talk too. I mean, yeah. I'm not judging anybody. I don't judge people's experiences. I don't. I I don't have opinions. If you say that that's what happened, then that's what happened. Yep. You know what I mean? I'm not here put on this earth to question you. You go have your experience, and it's you know what I mean. So yeah, no, I never, I never judge anybody's experiences because. I'm the last person that's that just, should be judging Yeah, anybody. exactly. Exactly. I've already had weirder stuff happen to me. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, say, mm-hmm. hey, it didn't happen that way. Or no, it wasn't that. It was this. I've had people when I've talked with them, they're so very strongly set in their idea of what the UFO phenomena and the, the mm-hmm. non-human intelligences or beings or whatever you want to call them, spirits, whatever, Mm -hmm. what they are that they can't see past the, what they've created in their experience. And so they'll, you know, oh, well, that was the Pleiadeans that were talking to you. And, you know, they're, they're very positive and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, and, and, and I just, I just, I nod politely. I I'm don't like, argue. okay, because I don't know. You could be right. I don't know, you yeah, know, this, but I'm, yeah. <laughs> you could be right or you might not be. I don't know. But I'm like, yeah, I, I'm very fluid. And I just, I mean, I just roll with, with it and try to figure it out for myself. I can only speak for myself and my experiences. I can only see from my perspective. I try to see from others, you know, uh, you can be as closed minded and be positive. I mean, for it as you can be closed-minded and be is and be a debunker. You know, you can go too far yeah. either way. But uh, I try to remain kind of in the middle and healthily open uh, to anything. Yeah. My attitude is, if you can think it, it can happen somewhere. Maybe not in this planet yeah. or this dimension, but somewhere. You know, if you can think it, it can ha- it, it can be. And maybe we even create it. I don't know. I'm that open-minded. Yeah, that's I know. But, that's... <laughs> but I. But, you know, I'm just, uh, and, and I change over the years. My opinions and thoughts about things from 35 years ago, I go back and read my diary and some of the things that I wrote and things that I thought back then, totally different than what I feel now. But I've got years of, of experience and years of knowledge. I've learned new things and met new people. My opinions may change somewhat as I mm-hmm. change and grow. You know what I mean? Um so there's that too, you know, that's why I always preface everything with, I can only talk about my experience and my perspective and I could be wrong And it, you know, these are my opinions, but opinions change just like people do. People grow and change. So, yeah, uh, that's the facts remain the same, near, that, you know, when the facts start changing, uh, that's, that's when, that's when. Yeah, that's that's when it becomes a problem. I mean, the basic fact for me, like the when I tell the story of the mark in the yard and how all that happened and went down, it is what it is. That's exactly yeah. how I remember it. And I, as I tell it, I'm almost reliving it. You know, mm-hmm. and, and that is is what it is. Now, for what it was, that's where it's like I don't know. I'm not sure because I don't. 
Yeah. And I'm not a science. I, I, I'm a hairdresser and I worked in a factory for 15 years. I'm not a scientist or a physicist or, or well, they're scientists, but you know what I mean? I'm not, I'm just yeah. a, I'm just a regular person trying to get through life and have a weird one. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> what, have you ever run across somebody whose story was just so strange that it took you aback for a second, or do you just roll with it and go, yep, these things be happening? <laughs> well, I, yeah, I have met a few people that kind of made me go, wow, <laughs> you know, but then I try to, I try to put myself in their shoes. I try to, and I ask questions, you know, I try to ask questions um, that I th- think might be useful to help me kind of maybe figure out, you know, mm-hmm. I, I've, I've met some people that I don't think they want to figure things out. They like it the way it is, you know what I mean? Or they like the way they've made yeah. it in their heads. But um, yeah, I've met a few people and their stories are like, wow. But then, you know, I try to take the whole person in too, not just their story. I mean, I am just, I am not just June 3083. I am a complex you know being with uh, i'm like an onion with so many layers and and that's why i try try to look at other people you know i don't always when i hear a really fantastical story or really something that's really wild you know my i'll try to look under the layers and Mm -hmm. and see what i can see you know what i mean never judging because it's not my place it, it, I'm not paying no. their bills, you know, I'm, I'm not paying their bills. I'm not sleeping with them. You know, it's like, uh, you know, it, it's never my place to judge anybody. You know, everybody's here to have their own experience and however they're supposed to have it. Some of it's mm-hmm. pretty interesting. I mean, I meet a lot of really interesting, cool people. I do find that the more People that have had more interesting experiences, they seem to be, more, you know, uh, I, I have met some of the smartest people, intelligent people, that their minds just go to places I would have never dreamed. But I get it, you know, I've met some of the smartest mm-hmm. people because of this whole phenomenon. And it's just some of the most wonderful people, some of the most empathic and connected and loving people that I've ever met in my life, you know, because of this. So there's that too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think the empathic and loving, and I think that's very important with this kind of phenomena to extend that to other experiencers to the, I mean, and to the rest of the world as well. But I, because of the stigma and because of the fear that people have of revealing, oh, yeah, this this happened to me, yeah, um, then I, I think we should just be as open as we can be, open-hearted as we can be, and kind. And I think that it, it does more for the world to be kind to each other mm. than, you know... Yes. Positive attracts positive. You know what I mean? So I feel like if you are putting, if you put out positive, good thoughts and vibes and, and things out into the universe, into the world, it's going to come back to you, you know, double, mm-hmm. triple. And, and I really feel strongly that 
um, what we think in our heads is extremely important because I feel like we are very, human beings are very powerful, energetic creatures. And we are capable of things that we can't even imagine that we we don't remember that we don't believe that we can but we are we can and our thoughts can change the world everything that you see in your room everything around you began in somebody's mind as a thought think about that everything starts with a thought everything begins right here and that and and we have control of that you know so i try to be i'm human and i'm get frustrated and I get annoyed with things and, you know, I get, sometimes I get annoyed with people uh, and I have to stop myself and take a deep breath and try to pull myself up above that and say, you know, just put good out there and hopefully it sticks. You know, throw that spaghetti on the wall. Hopefully some of that will stick. Because we yeah. didn't call it spaghetti. We called it something else. But, you know, just, <laughs> yeah. you know, so I, I mean, I was raised to believe my mom always said mind over matter, mind over matter. You know, there isn't anything you can't accomplish in your life. There's nothing that we can't accomplish together as a species if we want it bad enough. And we put it in our minds mm-hmm. that we're going to do it. It will happen. You know, just like they said, you, if you build it, they'll come. <laughs> yeah. Didn't work with Disney in Europe, but hey, <laughs> they you know. tried. They tried. Yeah. Give them There's points pl- for that. Yep. But uh, anyway, yeah. So see, and that's another thing. My attitude about this has come so far from this single mom living, you know, on food stamps in the Section 8 apartment which is where I was at one point when, you know, my kids were little, you know, to and struggling every day. And I'm not, you know, my husband and I are retired. We're on Social Security. We're not rich by any means, but we have everything we need. We have food and shelter and clothing, water, much more than 90% of the world, you know, and for that I'm thankful and grateful. Yeah. But I'm full, you know, inside is what, you know, I've I've grown so much and changed so much. I've awakened something inside of me that's connected me to the entire world and all the life in it. And it I didn't used to be this person on June 30th, 1983. I wasn't this person I am now, but I am this person I am now because of June 30th, 1983. Something happened that night. Something and I always said Debbie died and Debbie 2.0 was born. Something flipped a switch in me. And I went crazy for a while because it was more than I could handle, but I managed to to figure it out, you know, and get my sea legs or whatever. <clears throat> I wish I'm going to have my BFF come on our show, our podcast one day, because her and I were talking. We've known each other <clears throat> 55 years. That's how long we've been in each other's life, you know. And she always says, I wish that I could tell these people what a change that I've seen in you over the years that, you know, what, how different you are, not just physically, but mentally and, and spiritually, the, the difference, you know, and I'm like, well, okay, well, come on the show. And you tell everybody. But it's, you know, it is. And I, it's not just me. I've seen this in other people that I've known for many, many years mm-hmm. and have been through similar things with me. I see this pattern of change and growth m- mentally and 
spiritually, psychically, or, you know, uh, my experiences went from the physical to the metaphysical, I guess, you know, but, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it's all connected. It's all part of it. It's all that intertwined this, this network, this mesh of stuff that's somehow creating this positive change. I don't know. I yeah. sound like a crazy ass person now, but you know. <laughs> no, you don't. Um, that my feeling about all of this is that it's supposed to change us. It's not supposed to just happen. It doesn't just happen. It happens for a reason. Yes. And there are some who are unlucky. It doesn't change them for the positive. I think. Well, something or, told or me they get years there and eventually. <clears throat> Yeah, Some, they get something, there eventually. Something told me a long time ago when I was young, in my 20s, something said to me, and I don't know what it was or when it was, how it got in my head, but something said to me, don't be afraid because fear will slow it down. Fear slows down the process. Don't be afraid. There's nothing to be afraid of. When I participated in that Observer's, um, podcast or that observers uh, the documentary that was on uh, Amazon Prime a couple years ago, mm-hmm. and I participated in that with Whitley Strieber, Linda Howe, Jimmy Jimmy Church, um, William Henry, uh, Richard Dolan, and I was uh, asked to participate by Linda Howe, who is a friend of mine I've known for twenty five years, and I said yes I would because I don't really like being in front of the camera that much. I'm I'm great with radio, you know, but I don't like, you know, I get real self-conscious. But the last line in that that I had when the producer asked me if there was one thing I wanted to tell the people out there like me, one thing, what did I think the most important message was that I wanted to give? And I had prayed on this, and I'm not even religious, but I had the night before, I'm like, put the words in my mouth. What is it that I'm supposed to say? What, you know, make it come out of my mouth when it needs to, you know, just guide, help me. Cause I don't, I don't, I don't know why I'm here, but I am. So use it, use me, whatever. I opened my mouth and the only thing I could think of to say was, don't be afraid. <laughs> and that was it. And they ended the whole, that was the last line of the whole documentary. Don't be afraid. <laughs> That's funny. I mean, That's you know, what angels look, always say we're 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 still here. I mean, look what we do to each other. If I were an alien species flying around and I happen to see a planet with a bunch of fools like this down here, I'd be like, bye, bam. You know, if they if they wanted to get, <laughs> yeah. you know, if they wanted to get rid of us, I believe that would have happened quite a long time ago. You know, there may be some species out there that are like, eh, them, those things are nuts. Just just eradicate them. Get rid of them. They're worthless. And then there might be another species that's like, oh, no, they're cute. Just like I do with my, <laughs> oh, I love my doggies, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, but I, I feel like if if we were going to be extincted by something other, out there, we would already be gone. We're here for a reason. Yeah. And somebody wants us here. And, uh. And I see so much beauty in the world. 
There are so many absolutely gorgeous places on this planet that take your breath away. I have seen beauty in a human being spirit that brings me to tears and I can't even speak because of somebody and the beauty that I've seen in, in, a, in a single living human being, you know, sitting on the side of the road. When I see a, a person in the sidewalk, homeless, and people are stepping over him, I don't see a homeless person. I see somebody's child, and I want to hug them, and I want to, them to know that someone loves them. You know what I mean? This yeah. is the only place in the universe that you can feel that. That's important, you know, and it's here, and, and I just want people to connect with that and and don't be afraid. And don't be afraid. There's a line in a song that I, uh, I it's seen, it sounds very corny, but it's the soul uh, uh, afraid of dying that, that never learns to live, you know? Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I had a near-death experience when I gave birth to my son, you know, my oldest son, who's 45 now. I had a near-death experience. I almost, I died twice, actually. I had to be revived twice. But when, and that changed me and that changed the way I thought about death. I know we don't, I don't cry at funerals and people look at me like I'm crazy or are disrespectful, but they're, there's not, they're not gone. They're just moved on. You know what I mean? I, I see things differently than yeah. other people. I see things differently than other people now. And I, sometimes it's hard to verbalize for me. I'm not the best speaker in the world. I'm not the best writer in the world. Sometimes it's really hard for me to get my emotions across to people. And I feel like it would be so much easier if I could just go inside of you and you could feel me for a second and know it all that what I know. And then we'd be done. But then I realize, you know, that might be easy, but then it's not going to mean as much what to you as it meant to me. You have to come to it a certain way in your own time for it to be meaning mm-hmm. to you what it needs to mean, you know? So... But anyway, yeah, <laughs> there's that too. <laughs> I always See? thought that people who cry at funerals aren't crying for the dead. Uh-uh, they're crying they're for themselves. They're crying for themselves because they miss them. And I get that, you know, and that's cool. I cried when my mom died, but then some shit happened that night, <laughs> which she promised me that we, we, we had this pact that we were going to, if she could do anything at all to let me know I was right, that we'd go on, that she would, and she did. And from that moment on, I was elated, and I was good, you know. I realized mm-hmm. with her, with my mother's death, with my mother-in-law's death, with my husband's death, I realized, you know, this is just, uh, this is just going to be a different way of living, you know, I started mm-hmm. referring to my body as that meat sack full of water I'm driving around in that's starting to fall apart. <laughs> yeah, it but, does have a, a warrant, a, a use by date. You know? <laughs> I think like, mine well. expired about three months ago. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to keep driving this bus until the wheels fall off, I guess, but. But yeah, see, things, things like that, that's, that's how I changed. The experiences that I've had have created this and have shaped me and molded me in this way. I've also had strange, I've also had traumatic experiences, just regular life, you know. I think you read in the book. Yeah. You know? I mean, my husband, my late husband committed suicide. He did it in front of me with the 12 gauge, yeah. me and all the sheriffs in Howard County, you know. 
but I can talk about it now. It's 30 years, some years ago, but I can talk about it and I don't cry. I mean, I can think about him and feel happy and remember the things and, and know that, you know, wh- whatever the powers are that be felt that for whatever reason I needed to be there, that I would be strong enough to be there in his hour of need. And I was, it taught me that I'm stronger than I ever gave myself credit for. And I came through this and beyond this. And I, you know, I, and I think I'm here to help other people in this situation come through this, to reach my hand out for them so they can come through too, you know, and the tornado, good God. I mean, I had a house drop on me then uh, and lost everything I owned in 2013. You know, I started thinking, who did I piss off? You know, I've had a lot of trauma that isn't even UFO related or weird related, you know, and I just keep chugging along. Good therapy helps too. But you know what? Therapy (laughs) is beautiful. And it is, it is, it is. I suggest it for everyone. Uh, My therapist knows about my weird woo-woo stuff. She's read my book and uh, I mean, she's cool. Uh, We've even done EMDR therapy on the... June 30, 83 incident, because it was so traumatic, you know, and it's been very helpful. I wish everyone who's had trauma could do that. I really do. Never be afraid to ask for help if you need it. Yeah. If you don't need some help sometime or another, you ain't living. (laughs) Yeah. And most therapists are way more open-minded about weird stuff than you think they would be. Especially nowadays. I mean, I I don't, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have, you know, 30 years ago, I wouldn't have mentioned it, but I got, you know, now I found this, a woman, I thought, damn, you know, if I'm going to get a hold of this anxiety thing that I've wrestled with since I was a child, then I need to uh, put all my cards out on the table. I need to work on all of it, not just select pieces like cherry pick, because it's all a part of me. You know, the good, the bad, yeah. and the ugly. So it's been great. Anyways, thanks for taking the time to uh, have me on. I appreciate it. I, you are welcome. And you're welcome to come back if you want to. If you ever have something you need to say and don't want to do it just on your podcast, you're welcome on mine anytime. Oh, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. And you know what? I have a website, too, that You, if you want to put it in there. Um, I will put it in the show notes for sure. Yeah, it's... um. It's www.debshome.com. I've had All this right. web. I've had this website for about twenty-five years, and it's full of science news and you know UAP, UFO, you know news and stuff like that. There's some stuff in there about you know things that have happened to me, and people can get to to know me a little better and know the event. And there's pictures. There's some of my art on there. I need to update that terribly. That part is a little old. But the the most important thing is that you can write to me through that. My my email is connected to that. So people can write to me if they want to share their experience with me and it will go nowhere else, you know, but to me if they yeah. want and that but they just so I'm there and they can reach out and I always try to answer every email that I get. I had a post office box for years before, you know, the computer and stuff yeah. and so, but yeah, so if you could put that on there and then people can, if they want to contact me, they can contact me through my website. Definitely. That's Definitely awesome. We'll I appreciate that. that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, that's all for this week's episode of the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. 
If you have any questions or thoughts about the podcast or would like to come and talk about your experiences of the paranormal, you can contact us at 6djk67 at gmail.com. We promise to even answer you, and we are always happy to hear from you. Thank you.